I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. And like always, I'm joined by my husband and co-host, Josiah. Josiah, how you doing? Great, babe. Hey, guys. Fun to be in the studio this afternoon. Maybe it's morning when, when you're listening, but it's a joy to come into your homes, your headphones, and um, your commutes. And new episodes, by the way, of Young Adults Today launch every Monday morning. So thanks for sharing this with other leaders, subscribing, rating, leaving us a review on iTunes. And um, we have a returning guest to the Young Adults Today podcast, who in the young adult ministry needs no introduction. I will introduce him in just a moment, but David, Marvin, how are you? What's up, guys, man? I'm so pumped to be back with y'all and uh, y'all are looking good and, and just excited for the conversation. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. Well, we are excited to hear how you are surviving and thriving and just doing a life so well. And we are just excited that you're spending some time with us and our listeners today. What a blessing, man. And we know that you've had been working on some fun projects that we're going to touch on behind the scenes, um, as well as just seeing what God's doing in your life. So Josiah, for people who do not know who Pastor David is. Who in the heck is he and why do they need to get to know him a little more? Definitely. Uh, David Marvin leads The Porch, which is a Tuesday night ministry for thousands of young adults every week. Meets across 14 locations in nine different states. The main one being at Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. He received his master's degree in biblical studies from DTS, which is Dallas Theological Seminary. He's been, believe it or not, on staff at Watermark 12 years leading, teaching, building into the next generation of young adults. And uh, obviously his first priority beyond being a pastor even is serving as husband to his wife, Callie, a licensed counselor, and then their two children, soon to be three. We're going to need to update the bio for next time, but um, we're excited. So welcome back. Hey, before we dive in, can you just catch us up on your life, your world, family and ministry, the past year and a half since you were on here last. Was it a year and a half ago? Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Man. And what a crazy year and a half for everybody. You know, I think we were mid COVID the last time I was on here um, or, or at the beginning, it's all a blur. I feel like for everybody, you know, it's the longest and fastest year of everyone's life. True. Agreed. Agreed. And uh, yeah, so the porch, like everybody else, we had to figure out um, our, and our broader church watermark, which is what the porch is a part of, had to figure out how to do everything streaming for months and months. And then um, Texas fortunately had the ability to probably move back a little bit quicker than others um, or our, our government, um, for better, or for worse, allowed us to go distanced and masked. And then at the beginning of this about February, I believe of this year, um, at some point in the spring, we moved back to just normal and, and God is, um, God has been so good. Young adults are as hungry for community, as hungry for being around people as they ever have been. I'm sure you guys are experiencing the same and really it's a unique time for the church everywhere because the needs are so high, like the spiritual, emotional, the, um, uh, some ways physical, but just the needs and the opportunity the body of Christ has to 
be a source of solution and hope and light in a divided, crazy time mm -hmm. uh, is, is just so unique. And so we're seeing God save people every week. He continues to give us favor with new locations. We just did an Awaken conference, which yes. is amazing. And um, God has been really, really good and, and kind. And it was also a really hard season, you know, yep. as, uh, as everyone experienced. Mm -hmm. So, Man, right on, Pastor David. And uh, where I want to start is first things first is just to say that the difference between last conversation on the podcast with you and this conversation mm -hmm. is that Micah and I have now been to the porch. That's right. That's yeah. Yeah, you have. We've been to the porch. Amazing. <laughs> and it is incredible to see the ways that God's moving. And I would just say to the listener, mm -hmm. if you are passionate about reaching the next generation, specifically young professionals, young adults, 18 to 30 year olds. Mm -hmm. um, I would just say, pay your dues, pay your way and get to Dallas and check out the porch. It is, I, I think like nothing I've ever Great. seen on a weekly gathering basis on a, on a Tuesday night. It's amazing. Wow. Man, that's so kind. Well, it was super fun to have y'all and uh, just to get to get together with other young adult pastors like yourself. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and so we are really, really, God has been really gracious and we know what he is doing is in spite of us. And there's just times he touches something and nobody can take credit for that. Exactly. You know? yeah. That's what we feel like we're in the middle of right now. So that's kind. Well, and picking right, picking, you know, right up where, where we left off last time, something that I'd love to pick your brain about Ooh, here we go. Um, where we ended last time when we wrote reaching the next together, you, we asked you to talk about like doing ministry through people, mm -hmm. not to people. And this idea of Ephesians four equipping, empowering. And you mentioned you guys just had awaken conference yep. bonkers. And the interesting thing. So you're the director of the porch. You're the pastor, the young adult pastor, and you have a team, hundreds of volunteers and a number of staff as well. And you actually <laughs> handed the keys of the conference so you didn't lead it. Emma led it. That's right. <laughs> and so, you know, I just want to know, um, what was it like for you as the young adult pastor to give a teammate a 4,000 plus person conference to run? Yeah, it was um, smart and probably overwhelming for her. But <laughs> I mean, she just crushed it. Oh and you're, you're so right, though. You got to, um, if I led everything, I would be such a bottleneck. And the ideas would, um, they would be many and execution would be very little. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so she just crushed it. And those, she empowered those 300 volunteers wow. and they planned the party. They planned the, I mean, if you go follow the porch on Instagram or myself on Instagram, you can see some of the, the photos, videos, everything was planned by those guys. I mean, even the, um, it, it, candidly, it was a lesson for me on how to even take more ground in empowering your people. And by that, I mean, we tried some new things. We did a hospitality team. So we had Maverick City and Phil Wickham and Ben Stewart and had just a, a lot of friends that were with us. And normally we run the green room and we kind of go, what snacks do you want? And hey, here's a shirt and here's um, your honorarium or whatever. We gave that to a team and empowered wow. them. And those 30 people they blew my mind on just the environments they created, the way that they cared for people. Then, I, you know, the staff, we get credit for it. And I'm like, I had nothing to do with how well you've been cared for. And so we introduced more teams like that. And that was a real win. 
um, and just reminded me of, man, you've got to give the ministry away to people. It's going to be better than it will be if you don't, um, or everything's going to get better when the body of Christ, you know, the word liturgical, I may have even shared this, is a word liturgy. Um, watermark's not denominational. It's very, it's not um, what a lot of people would think of liturgical when they say it. Right. But the word liturgical means of the people. And so in that sense, the Awaken was one of the most liturgical events wow. ever. And that it wasn't, you know, candles lit and um, reading liturgy, but it was of the people. We handed the ministry away. And just as you and I think, I think all three of us talked about at some point, you know, the Great Reformation was given the word of God back to the people. And we feel like there's a reformation taking place in the church today, given the work of God back to the people. And so we're just passionate about that. And it was such a sweet sweet thing to see. So I love it. And I think that for me, you continue to challenge me, inspire me, sharpen <laughs> me and raise the bar of just pushing things. Like you said, trying some new things where we're going to equip, we're going to empower. And to do that, we got to try some new things and it might work. It might not, but we're going to push the envelope yeah. a little bit and raise the bar. So I am uh, spurred on by that and just yeah. grateful to learn and, and pick your brain on that a bit. Well, I think the fun thing to recognize is that there are so many creative people out there that have such amazing gifts and may not get to utilize them on a natural Sunday service like they could to the capacity of an awaken kind of behind the scenes really taking care of people and it's it's Christ people taking care of Christ people it's not you know these fancy people coming in and we're like we're here to serve you yes we're here to serve you but we're also going to serve alongside each other the vision yeah. of an event the vision of a project the vision of a book the vision of whatever people are working on as listeners as that we are stronger together we when we rally together we yes. can um really passionately hear the anthem and the heartbeat of christ through the things that we get to do and through the things we get to host and all we do as leaders and as believers is create opportunities yeah. for those guests to come through the door for those first time visitors to come through the door for the glory of god to shine through and to always give him the glory and i think sometimes as a leader we have those freak out moments right we have those freak out moments of oh my gosh we have 500 people signed up and we don't have a volunteer team or we don't have food and who's going to cater and kind of fill in the blank that maybe if you've never led anything like that, the, those are the things that at least go through my mind and probably yeah. went through Emma's mind. And if you are not a planner and those don't go through your mind, maybe you shouldn't be a planner. That's okay. Um, but we do have those freakout moments as leaders and we hand over the keys to mm -hmm. what we feel God's entitled us to maybe entitlement, mm -hmm. make it in a way. Um, but when wow. God's handed us as leaders keys over um, to parts of his kingdom. And we need to hand over the keys to some of the buildings, some of the events, some of the responsibilities. And um, you guys demonstrated that so perfectly. And speaking of freaking out, we know that you have kind of just been working on a fun project. I don't know how many people know about this, but you obviously like to write as well as lead and teach and preach. And why we're all freaking out and why we shouldn't be is kind of the direction that we're going to go next. Yeah. And for the listener, um, I was open up with this question right away, Pastor David, is why is anxiety and depression so prominent in young adults? And I will touch before you answer that, you are, have written a book. Brand new book. Exactly yep. about this topic of anxiety and depression and the freak out moments and hold the phone. Why should we not be freaking out essentially? So yep. with that, 
why is anxiety and depression so prominent in young adults today? Yeah, you know, I, I never thought I was going to write a book. I'll tell this quick setup. Um, or I, I was always open to it, but I never had like the, some people have that God has told me I got to do this. Mm-hmm. And, and because of the porch, um, publishers over the years had, had had conversations and had said no. And then one publisher came back and said, would you consider writing something on, on anxiety? You talk about it a lot. It seems to be a passion point. My wife is a licensed counselor. Yeah. And over the last 10 years, I've seen firsthand the incredible spike explosion mm. before COVID-19 of anxiety. And so I've also seen there's a real disconnect between what people think the Bible actually teaches on anxiety. Mm-hmm. So you have this, this exploding need. And I think one of the reasons it's exploding is there's so much change. There's so many distractions. We're so connected. And yet we don't have a lot of, uh, you know, deep, meaningful relationships. One study found that the world, and this study was done in 2010. So think about mm. this. The world in the last 30 years has changed as much as the previous 300 combined. Oh my gosh. Wow. And, and that was before iPads, Alexa, Uber Eats, Netflix. I mean, that was 2010. So think about even the last 10 years, yeah, how much true. the world has changed. Yeah. And change can be stressful. And uh, we've all grown up in a, a world where, unlike, you know, in our grandparents' age, they'd hear about Pearl Harbor two weeks after on a news or on the paper. Now, if a terrorist attacks, you know, in Belgium, I hear about it from, you know, an app on my phone immediately. And social media has only contributed to this. The studies on mental health and the way that it it both drives comparison, can drive depression, Mm. and people are experiencing tremendous anxiety. And so you have this explosion. And then, like I said, there is not a real understanding about what the Bible teaches. I think the average person thinks God just says, don't worry, stop being anxious, which fails to really communicate some rich principles he's given. Like one of my, my favorite, and I don't want to, I feel like I'm just going off here. You're good, uh, man. Bring it. it. One of the things that, that uh, for example, to use one example of how people just don't understand what the Bible communicates is they will say, I don't know if it's, if I'm stable, if y'all can, if, y'all, if I cut out, let me know. Um, hey, when Paul says in Philippians chapter four, six and seven, very well-known verse for especially Christians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests with thanksgiving be known to God and the peace of God, which transcends understanding will guard your hearts and minds of Christ Jesus. The Greek word anxious, when he says, don't be anxious, it's a word, it's the Greek word merim now. It's a word that's synonymous with meditation. In other words, scholars would link it to meditating. So when Paul says, don't be anxious, he's not saying don't have an anxious thought. That's impossible. That's like, you know, if somebody says, don't think about a pink elephant, you immediately think about a pink elephant, you know, Paul, it's impossible. Those thoughts are going to come in. You can choose not to meditate on them. You can say, you know what? I'm going to have those anxious thoughts, but I'm going to replace them and choose to meditate on what is true, or I'm not going to start my day. No one... In other words, no one would disagree with what Paul is saying. Uh, in my opinion, I've never heard anybody say, you know what changed my life for the better? I began waking up every morning and meditating on everything fearful, anxious, potentially that could go wrong that day. And I just ran through it in my mind. You know, this could happen and I could get hit by a meteor and, you know, I, my mom could die and I could lose my job. And no one would say that's helpful, right? Final destination, all the ways you can die. Is that that crazy show? Yeah, yes. Like no one, no one would say that makes your life meaningfully better. And that's what Paul is saying. 
And you know it's that because immediately after those verses, he goes into whatever is true, mm-hmm. whatever is no. In other words, don't meditate on that stuff. Meditate on what is pure, lovely, anything that is true. Right. And, and so that's just one of so many examples that in my experience in talking with people, the reason the Bible is not seen as a, a first line of defense for a lot of Christians is they don't know what it actually teaches. They right. assume it just says stop. And telling somebody to just stop being anxious it's not helpful. It's like saying fall asleep at night. If somebody's struggling to fall asleep, it, it's like, I, I would, if I could, <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah, exactly. And yet the Bible and particularly Jesus mm. and a lot of the teachings from Paul, I just think they're so profound. And, and this is such a real issue and I'm all for counseling. I think there's times medication is appropriate. I yeah. think there's clinical anxiety, but for Christians, our first line of defense is God's word. And those things are good supplements. They're not good replacements. There it is. For, Great for Applying those things. So that may be more than you wanted, but I, I just think it's Great. such a huge issue and it's a great distinction of those things. Absolutely. Medication, counseling, therapy, all of it. Mm-hmm. Great supplements and just not, you know, acceptable replacements for the word of God. That's a great distinction. And yes. for the, the leaders that are listening, David, I mean, a lot of them are feeling this firsthand, what you're talking about, anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. personally, and especially in the ministries that they're leading. And also a unique dynamic is we're all probably in a hybrid season where about half of the young adults are millennials, younger millennials. And then generation Z is rising up. And so half of the people we're pastoring likely are maybe Mm -hmm. older generation Z, half of them are younger millennials. And it might be too soon with the research or studies might not be out yet from the pandemic. That's just taken charts. And now the charts are all irrelevant, but I'm just curious if there, is there any difference or data or research that you found, um, between the two generation Z and millennials, um, as when it comes to anxiety, depression, things like that. Yep. It's only gotten height more heightened. And what's, what's fascinating is in other words, Gen Z is even more anxious and the levels of clinical anxiety of depression of even suicidal thoughts are even higher, which makes sense. Um, in some ways, especially coming out of COVID, but why it's so shocking is millennials had such high levels of anxiety, the highest more significantly higher than any other generation before us. And some of that, you know, studies have been done. 9-11 happened for a lot of millennials. There were things that, you know, terrorist attack went from a word that no one knew about to something that now, hey, that could happen. School shootings became something that they had happened in the 90s in Columbine, and but they just became so prevalent. Yeah. And so when you combine that with the introduction of social media, and how that is just fueling further discontent, anxiety, depression. It's only continuing to spike, which is really tragic. In fact, there was a study done that showed that the average young adult today, Gen Z, has the same uh, level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient in the 1950s, yep. which is crazy. Bonkers. I mean, bonkers. I mean, it's crazy. And or maybe according to people who lived in the 1950s were crazy, you know, and that they're going and it just anxiety is exploding. And so I don't think it's a problem that's going away. It's a problem that church has got to do a better job. I think of talking about mental health and bringing it first and foremost for leaders 
having people in your life that you're talking about mental health with Mm -hmm. and doing the things that Christ calls us to, um, you know, I don't know if you've heard of cognitive behavioral therapy. It's, it's a counseling term. Yes. All that is, is renewing your mind. It's, It's learning. It's basically cognitive behavioral is cognitive. How you think impacts your behavior. And so you've got to address how you think because it's impacting your behavior. And that's what God 2000 years ago before psychology was even around or was a practice that, you know, was common was saying, Hey, this is how life change happens is you Mm -hmm. transform how you think. And it leads to peace. You transform how you think, and it leads to transforming your behavior. So sadly, the shortest stance would be, it seems like it's not a problem going away and it's Mm -hmm. only getting higher. And, and COVID has just, exponentially increase that oh my gosh absolutely well we understand that there's power in our thinking there's power Definitely. in our words there's power in yes. the things that we consume whether it's social media reading books watching movies like all of that impacts us in a positive or negative way whether it sensitizes us or desensitizes us to the word of god or to the world and we know that we've seen multiple even leaders experience delayed stress um, delayed stress in our personal lives. We talked about delayed stress where we've marriage mentored people yeah. um, and we were marriage mentored as well and kind of trained in that. And they talked about something called delayed stress and like, Hey, like the first three months of marriage may feel awesome. That third or four month month might come around and you might get hit like with a wave of whatever, Change. like just yeah. overwhelming sensation of you're sharing a bed, you have a roommate, you're trying to learn how to communicate, you're trying to understand why do I do what I do? Why do they do what they do? And I think sometimes even in ministry and coming out of COVID or still being in it, or if you are still in it and just the repercussions of it more or less is a a form of delayed stress when it comes to society, when it comes to ministries, when it comes to the church doors, when it comes to um, campus um, ministries um, at universities or two-year schools or even in high schools. And um, as leaders, like we want to we want to be perfect. We want, we don't want to always admit that, wow, I had anxious thoughts or I'm overwhelmed or I'm stressed or I'm, you know, fill in the blank. Sometimes as leaders, um, how people view us changes how we view ourselves. And I would just be curious, um, Pastor David, if you can just talk about this um, tension that we, we get to manage, right? So can you talk about the yeah. tension between the drive of productivity when it comes to leadership and the social pressures as we are leaders in leadership, how do we manage those anxieties both internally and externally when it comes to the drive of our productivity, wanting to take our ministry to the next level, go deeper with God, as well as feeling the social pressures of Instagram, TikTok, and staying up with all those trends as we are trying to navigate leadership to begin with. Can you speak into that? Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. I think you, you worded it really well in that it is a tension to manage. Seasons are different. You know, you guys have a three-week-old. And so you just got to know your own gauges and set yeah. boundaries and be willing to say, I think one thing I have learned this year is like, man, everything is important and nothing is that important. Like if, if and especially not more important than your mental health. If, if I had to cancel this right now, um, this podcast, you know, before coming on, this is a random example. Um, I could go, let's say something came up, whatever it was, I could go, Oh my gosh, I still need to make that happen. I mean, I'm going to let them down. They're going to be disappointed. Maybe they won't, 
have another spot to come back on. Or I could say, man, I, I, this came up. I'm not going to stress about that. I want to honor them and, and let them know why I'd have to break this commitment. But at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world and everything is important and nothing is that important, especially your mental health uh-huh. and knowing your own boundaries and being willing to stay like our team candidly is in a season right now where we've been hiring more people. And I told them we're not going to be able to do, or we've been high, we've been down three spots or replacing three people, you know, for whatever transition, pregnancy, et cetera. And we're planning a conference and the realization was like, we, we can't do everything we want to do right now. Wow. So we're going to decide, we're going to drop some balls. So we're just going to decide what balls we're going to drop. Mm-hmm. We're going to put those balls down and say, we will come back to you whenever it makes sense to the Holy spirit and to our margin as a team. And, um, and so we have a podcast called views from the porch. We haven't had views from the porch in two months because it just was going to be too much strain and stress and I think you just got to know your boundaries. I was talking to Ben Stewart, who maybe a lot of your audience you know, he's hanging out at the porch with us um, a uh, month ago. No, a couple months ago. He was at Awaken actually too. And we were talking about rhythms and I was just asking, hey, what does it look like for you running sustainably? Because I'll teach at the porch and now I also teach on Sundays here. Right. Uh, and uh, every three weeks. And he just said, man, you've got to be really intentional about about your rhythms and you got to be really thoughtful because if not, you will break everyone's breaks. You break physically, your body just, man, it's just shut down. Mm-hmm. You're going to break spiritually where you man, you're going to end up doing something uh, really foolish that dishonors God. You break emotionally or just mentally, or you break um, uh, mentally. And wow. so everyone has to run or figure out your rhythms, not compare because my capacity is different than your capacity. What is God calling me to do? And I think also remembering at the end of the day, uh, God's going to do what he's going to do. I'm not that important and nothing is that important. I mean, everything matters and nothing is really that important. Like everything, it, it's going to be okay. Right. And um, so. Can you want to talk about the quadrants? Yeah. Urgent. Yeah. 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 I, I just um, find that fascinating. For sure. It's a good memory. <laughs> for sure. This comes from a really best selling book for decades. Um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, kind of a time management thought or principle from um, that book. And really, there's four quadrants of time management, and it, it all boils down to urgent and important. So if you want to sketch it out, if you're not driving, um, that would be dangerous, but you've got either important or unimportant on one side and then urgent or not urgent. And then you end up spending a lot of our time. Where do we spend our time? Things that are urgent and not important. Right. So we, we always want to do things right. um, that are urgent or we're putting out fires and we spend up all this time. Stephen Covey, the author says, we spend so much time of where we're spending, we're putting out fires that are urgent, but if we prioritized our time or maybe put up mental mm-hmm. health boundaries that are better, right. we could then have the creative rhythms. Um, Carrie Newhoff says it in his new book of your green zone, finding your green zone where you're able to be productive, batch out tasks that are important. And then, mm-hmm. and then, you know, things do come up that are urgent, but then it's not only emergencies. And well, I think as, as a leader, sometimes somebody else's lack of preparation seems to become our emergency. Wow. And then I feel like any penny in the sky is falling sometimes <laughs> where I'm like, 
this landed on me, you know, in reality, it's like, no, your lack of preparation is not my emergency. It may affect me in some way, but ultimately this is a character building opportunity for you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. And David, you, you had mentioned something and what a cool example of use from the porch, like just taking a break, no for now, not no forever. Right. Yeah. I just look at like for your team, why do you think this is a personal question that I'm just asking myself. So I'm dying to ask you, why do you think it's so hard for me to, to do what you did and to say, you know what, I'm going to choose some balls ahead of time that I'm going to drop because a ball is going to get dropped. Like, why is that so hard for me to do? Is it because I'm an achiever driven, motivated? Like, why is that? I, I think, um, I think it's a real temptation for all of us in ministry because we're working for the Lord. We're, uh, you know, we have the greatest mission anyone's ever had. It's far greater than Coca-Cola, which is their mission is to make money and put mediocre beverages in the hands of everybody. We, we have the eternal soul of people, you know? Yeah. And so I think it's a real temptation for all of us that can take our eyes off the fact that God's got this. I'm really called to remember, Hey, I can't kill myself. He doesn't want me to be, you know, a, a martyr due to mental health may call me to be a martyr for my faith. And, um, and to know that God is in control. I'm not that big of a deal. And I think the comparison, I don't know about for you. I know for me, so I'm not at all saying this for you. I think one of the fuels that can make me find that temptation is the comparison game. You look around at what other pastors are doing. You look around at what other ministries are doing. You look at what other authors are are doing and going, uh, I need to do that. And, um, and that just is not a healthy thing. You can, you can get in a really unhealthy place for me personally, if I'm driven out of um, a competition versus a God, we just, we want to honor you. We want to be innovative. And we also know we're not that big of a deal. You're going to build your church. And so we get to be a part of it. Right. I think to keep in mind, like we get to serve the savior. We don't become the savior. Yeah. And I think sometimes um, we kind of can as leaders adopt the savior complex of wanting to save everybody and do everything for everyone and be that, you know, idol in their life. But in reality, like, oh my gosh, let's remove all the idols and let's get (laughs) before the cross, you know, and just keep in mind, keep in mind who's in control and the ultimate mission. So. Isn't it funny? Like I, I thought about this recently. It seems like the only person who didn't have a savior complex was the savior. <laughs> Dang. You Dang. know, like he, he could have healed everybody. He could have been, you know, he, he intentionally walked by pool of Bethesda. He heals one guy. There's people right. that have been their right. whole life waiting there and he just keeps moving. And, um, and I think in the church in America, we really have got to be more intentional. One thing I talk about in the book, even the language we use, is um and i don't want to take us off or derail wherever you were going next the word stress is not a word that was even in american or in english literature prior to 1930s used to describe anything somebody felt it was only a term for physics like a bar has stress on it and it's it's as though somebody looked at a bar that was about to snap and was like i feel like that's my life you know (laughs) and it became really common and increasingly common to be used in the 60s, 70s, 80s. And now everybody, you know, if somebody says I'm stressed in 1930, they would have no idea what you mean. But today everyone knows I'm stressed right. and it's a way of life. Mm. I'm, I'm glad you went there because that was one of the questions we had kind of on the back burner, like 
what does that actually mean and look like? So I'm glad you went there without knowing that you were going to go there. Um, But speaking of just like the, the healing and the freedom that Christ Mm. offers, how can we like as leaders and as just normal people, how can we find freedom from our anxious thoughts and feelings that truly can be debilitating at times? How can we experience that ultimate freedom or that ability to rein in those you know, anxious moments. <laughs> totally. Man, I, I um, would be crazy if I attempted to, in a couple sentences, answer uh, what it took 240 pages uh, of just walking through. Cause I do think there's really tactical things, but I think one of the least practiced things is you've got to understand why am I anxious and what's fueling it? And then what are the beliefs and values that are behind that emotion? And by that, I mean, every emotion we have involves a belief and a value. Without it, I can't experience something. Uh, and for example, if I am walking down my street, and I see a squirrel. I don't know if you guys have squirrels in Minnesota. We have them all over in Texas. It's, we do. Our so neighborhood's a little overpopulated with squirrels. Yeah. So when, when you see a squirrel walking in the street, you don't feel anything. You're like, it's a squirrel. When you see a child walking in the street, because you believe he could potentially get hit by a car and you see that as more valuable, you feel more angst. When I see my child walking in the street, I feel incredible. Get out of the street. You get hit by a car because every time there's an emotion, it's the intersection of something we believe about something that we value. And so that means if we're going to get to the root of like, what is causing this anxiety, the emotional aspect of anxiety, I've got to get to what are the beliefs that are informing or what would God say about my beliefs? Because something doesn't have to be true for, it to, for me to believe it. And something doesn't have to be appropriately valued for me to uh, experience anxiety. And so what would God say about, maybe I'm really anxious about my job because I overly value money. Or uh-huh. I'm anxious about my job because I believe, not what God says, he's the ultimate source of provision. I am. And if, if you know this doesn't happen, I'm not going to be able to provide. And that's just one example. I also think, man, I, I, there's so many different ways I want to go right now. I, I think learning to get chased down what is at the root between what um, my beliefs and those values, fear and faith, ironically, grow in the same garden, mm. the same soil of uncertainty. Without it, without uncertainty, I can't have faith and I can't have fear. Wow, that's good. And so if I can take God's word and begin to apply it and begin to cultivate, and I use, I use an analogy in the book of like, it's like my lawn, grass and weeds, they grow in the same soil. Yep. Like some you want and some you don't. But yep. to get rid of, and what's further relevant is if you don't get rid of the weeds, they choke out the grass. The word from English, the word worry is a translation of a German word for strangle or choke. Mm. It strangles you. And that's what worry and anxiety can do in our life. But there is a way by identifying what I'm anxious about and applying God's word to it, which is what I talk about in the book, where you can begin to experience relief from those anxious feelings. You can grow faith in the soil of uncertainty instead of fear. That's good. I love it. And David, you're, you're speaking so timely. I think it's a prophetic message for leaders and for our generation. And I look at the timing of coming out of a pandemic and just realizing that 
people are more anxious, more lonely, isolated, and needing the hope that we actually have to offer through the spirit of God. And I just think that it's significant. I know that leaders are going to find it helpful for them and for their teams, this Mm -hmm. book of why we're all freaking out and why we shouldn't be. And, um, also, just what you said of fear and faith grow in the same garden. Mm-hmm. Of uncertainty. Oh That's my gosh. That's the word that I'm yes. like, light bulb. And, <laughs> and it's fun. We, we had an event, um, would have been May. And so before we even booked this interview, uh, May of 2021, and we were then coming back from out of town and praying about like, what's our theme for the next year? Right. And Michael, what was our theme for the next year? So 2022 May is fear not. Yeah. Come on. So we were just praying and I was like, I feel like it's a simple, like fear not, like that's it. That's the theme. And and what David just described um, is our hope and our prayer for everyone listening to this message right now that yes. you would experience a joy in your ministry that you would experience a grace and a peace and a mercy that is indescribable. Mm -hmm. This peace that we're teaching our daughter some worship songs. And there's this one of joy, 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 joy down in your heart. Mm -hmm. And then it goes to the peace that passes all understanding. And um, that's amazing. And, and David, by the way, as young leaders ourselves, you know, as we're pursuing health, holistic health, Mm -hmm. how can we as ministers be equipped for mental health challenges in our own lives? And maybe do you have any thoughts specifically of how we can help those that God's actually asked us to minister to and through? How can we be prepared to lead them into mental health? Yeah, I think, you know, there's such a holistic approach you got to have of encouraging support systems and community and people to have open environments where they can talk about what they're experiencing, what they're feeling, where, where they're not isolated and alone, where they can just say, man, I'm anxious about that. The church has got to do a better job of not shaming people for feeling anxious and not making it seem like, you know, you're, there's something wrong with you, just like any other sin, really just like sin in general, we're going to experience anxiety for our whole life, or it's never going to fully go away till we're in heaven but there are ways that we can encourage them to combat it. What are the lies that I'm believing? What is ultimately God say about the thing that I'm so anxious about? Um, And that's where I think pinpointing, Oh, an introspection on what am I anxious, actually anxious about? I remember talking with a friend and he was anxious. He was in ministry and he was anxious about his kids being able to pay for college someday, which is real. You know, they're like, um, nobody's banking or you don't get into ministry to bank. And, um, uh, or make a lot of money. And I remember f- talking with him and going like, what happens if you can't pay for your kid's college? And him saying, well, I would feel like I wasn't a good dad or I failed him as a dad. Wow. Um, and asking on the top 10 list of things that make a good dad, wow. where, where would you put paying for kid's college? Like, is it to my mind? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and is it possible that you could be a good dad and not pay for college? Is it possible you could be a bad dad and pay for college? Right. That you're anxious about, you're believing a lie that what makes a good dad is they financially provide for college. And God didn't say that's true. Mm-hmm. There's great dads that, that are not able to financially. And, and that anxiety over someday not paying for college is robbing you of today being able to be present and be a good dad. Mm-hmm. And so I think drilling in on what are some of the lies that maybe are behind what I'm believing here 
is a real helpful practice. That's so good. And helping to identify the narrative that we've been told or telling ourselves in that process. Yes, yes. Um, So So you mean if you were told as a kid that I'm a dad, I pay for your college. Well, if I'm the dad that adopted that, I'm going to think that I need to do the same to make my name known in my son's or daughter's life or whoever, you know? Yes. So yeah, helping identify that. And now we've come to one of our favorite parts. Are you ready for a two minute drill? Oh, I'm ready. He is ready. Okay. So we have two questions, two final thoughts. Um, here's a curveball right off the bat. If you could ask Josiah and myself one question today, what would it be? Here it is. I, I, I am ready. I need your, I'm sweating now. I don't have a sweat. What is it like? How do you guys, um, because you do something that is kind of remarkable to me. You, um, both, uh, speak and you do ministry together or you work together, I believe. Right. I mean, yeah. unless this is just yeah. you turn it off and you go back to another place and you go somewhere else. How, how do y'all handle doing that? Always being together, always like, I'm just, I'm always amazed by couples that work together. And maybe that says more about me, but just like, man, when you get in a conflict at work, it's conflict with marriage or how do y'all, do that is that hard at all and maybe that's just a wiring where it's it's not a challenge for some people and and you both like to speak my <laughs> wife would she would die if she was put on a podcast in fact i had to like beg her to do in a podcast on anxiety because she's a counselor and she did right. one with and i had to like throw all the chips it. i mean she nailed it <laughs> nailed it See? but still is that how is that I, what's amazing david is like when we were dating, like we were maybe a little bit older when we first met too, we were already young adults mm-hmm. and we were already both serving in ministry. So we knew separately that we were both called yep. and just sensing God's leading and drawing into ministry. And so our dream, our desire was we want to do ministry together because mm-hmm. believe it or not, when we were both dating and engaged, there was some smart pastors from other churches in our area who offered her jobs. And there was, I was on staff at a local church. She was volunteering and coming alongside, but there was some very excellent ministries, even some out of state that she had opportunities. And we just looked at it like, okay, I don't think that our calling is going to be you go and pastor over there. And I pastor over here and we (laughs) come home to the same, you know, home or apartment or whatever. And so it was number one, it was our dream. And I think that then, um, how, like we are gifted, I think pretty differently differently. in some ways, um, we might have some overlap of maybe some passions of teaching or writing, but I mean, even our approach in those things is super different. So how I've come across it is I champion her, I encourage her and I try to find ways to bless and send her to do ministry. And it's not the Josiah show. And I think you see a lot of that where um, I see a lot of pastors of churches, they do a video with their wife and she never says anything, yeah. the whole video. And she's in the totally. Just there. And I'm like, girl, speak, say and something, I'm let like, her give a line in. I, I just go two things. First of all, that is not me to be like, I need to be seen mm-hmm. saying something. And second of all, that's not her. She has great things to say and she's very gifted. So that's the first thought. And then how it works for us is like, we're not, we don't lead with like boundaries. We try to attempt to lead with boundless love, but when, when about four or five o'clock hits, 
I'm not going to start asking her about a ministry opportunity or a speaking engagement or calendar stuff. There's work time to talk about that. And then also I try to not, when we're working, I'm trying not to focus on necessarily parenting or the home. And I, I'm not saying I compartmentalize everything, but for me, I think the way I bless her mm -hmm. is I don't, you know, bring up ministry nonstop, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, and I think early on, so yes, we were both called into ministry, both desired to do ministry with a future spouse, even prior to meeting each other, knowing our giftings, knowing who God called us and created us to be. And my biggest thing is like, Josiah, if you, if I'm intimidating to you now, when I'm not even dating you, or there's not even a ring on my finger, or we're not even married, then I'm not the right person for you. If you think I'm yeah. going to be a wife that is going to hop in the back seat, look at you as the pastor, the leader, and the husband of the household and say, where are we going? No, I want to be in the front seat with you holding the map and we're navigating life together and we're navigating God's kingdom together and we're responding together. And I'm like, if that intimidates you, then you walk right now. So I was just very clear in my intentions, my calling, and I was confident in who God created me to be. Um, yes, I could still, you know, submit to him and he submits to me. And we have um, an amazing marriage that I think many people would probably view as rare uh, when it comes to that passion of ministry. Um, but we just, we get to do life together. And I think that's the biggest thing is how I, the, the visual I give people, I'm like, it's understanding the cadence that God's called us to. So it's like each of us and our leadership styles represent a pedal on the bike. And either one of us is going to halt on the brakes and we're going to go flying, or we're going to learn how to pedal together. Meaning that I'm going to bless and send him. He has outlets that don't include me and I have outlets that don't include him. And I think yeah. that is very healthy yeah. for both of us. Like, yes, like where's Mike and Josiah? It's always how we branded each other and how we branded our marriage early on is how people are going to know us, recognize us and remember us together as a unit, not, oh, there's Josiah doing his thing and Micah doing hers. Yeah. For a women's event, I am over here for a guy's event. He is over there, but I'm going to bless and send him in that process. And I think COVID um, really helped us hunker down on like, we're working from home now. We just had a baby. We just had a second baby and we're kind of coming out of COVID, kind of not. So I think um, for us, COVID was a hidden season yeah. to really hone in on who are we are. You're one in marriages. Who are we in marriage? Mm -hmm. And I didn't have a ministry job. Um, year two is who are we in, in ministry? ministry. Yeah. So the last two years we've just been discovering now, who are we as a family, a unit of four, not two, not three, but now four. Yeah. So I think looking at your best friend, it's like, I get to do life with you versus, oh, I have to do ministry with you. They mm. do overlap, but to give you just a glimpse, we had to set up boundaries when we were dating that we couldn't talk ministry for four hours. We'd go for supper and be like, wouldn't it be awesome? Young adults did this, 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 this. And we found ourselves wow. so much focusing on ministry and the horsepower that God put in both of us that we were forgetting the fact that we're dating and we're not just here to brainstorm yeah. ministry. So like, Hey, 15 minutes ministry, then the rest of the two hours of dinner, we're just going to ask each other questions about our future dreams, hopes, and aspirations as people, not as pastors. So that was a rule that I had to start because I'm like, dude, we sat here for three hours and talked about this, 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 and this, and how amazing all these things are, which is good, but I want to date you, not date the ministry a hundred percent. Yes. Yes. 
And I'll I mean, just, they do overlap. Yes, don't get me wrong, but I'll just say this: <laughs> I think where we have or I found myself most effective as a communicator is when we tag team some stuff, mm-hmm. whether it's at the conference or churches. I mean, if if Mike is just requested, then they get Micah. If I'm just requested, right. then it's me. But a lot of times, and it's it's rare, I guess. A lot of people don't tag team, but we found it's just like. She, you know, it's really a fun way to weave in and out. We find it yeah. enjoyable, yeah. but back to you. That was a fun question. It it's good. I love it. It was a long answer. <laughs> back to you. It's good. If you could share a word of encouragement kind of as we close Pastor David, but like, what would you share with young leaders? Yeah, man, I would say, um, it's hard to pick just one. I would say, keep going. What you're doing matters. Get get a good coach, get people in your life, call it a mentor, call it a, a, a Paul, call it whatever you call it, but get somebody. The biggest thing that I think young leaders um, need, or one of the biggest is a coach, somebody to come along, help them grow. Someone who's a champion for you and believes in you and will come and say, man, here's how you, here's how to vision cast, or here's something to make sure that you prioritize. And here's something to know about your first year of marriage have a good coach in your life yep. and somebody that you're, you're probably going to have to seek them out. They don't just drop out of the sky into your lap. You may just have to go, Hey, I want to meet with you once a quarter. I'm going to bring questions for 45 minutes. I want to honor your time. And I think that will pay real dividends, especially if you, if you get a godly man or a godly woman to play that role with you. Love that. That's wow. a great way to end the episode right there is find a coach. If you don't have one, start praying for one, pray that God brings those godly mentors and to know that a majority of the coaches and mentors that you have in your life, you should fear them a little bit. A healthy fear can go a long way when your accountability and your learning and your wanting to yeah. grow and someone's lovingly correcting you if you need it along the way. So, Pastor David, thank you so much for joining Seriously. us. Seriously. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thank you all so much for having me. So fun. Keep going. And God bless y'all. Yes, absolutely. You as well. And for those of you who are listening, if you want to find out more about Pastor David Marvin, The Porch, and his newest book, then you can connect with us on our website at youngadults.today, as well as across all of our other platforms at youngadults.today. Until next time, this is Mike and Josiah signing off with Pastor David Marvin. Thanks, guys. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Right now. Plug me in. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.